Hey guys, Barney here. I just want to take a quick moment to talk about the program that brings The Big Top to life, Zencaster. I use Zencaster for all my recordings, and since taking over The Big Top fully, I have actually tried other systems, but I ended up sticking with Zencaster. It's so easy to use. You don't have to download anything, just log in using your browser and start recording a high-quality podcast right away. It records studio-quality sound and up to 4K video with guests, along with a full suite of professional tools that let you produce and publish all from one dashboard. Being a creator has genuinely never been easier. And I love that I can send a simple link to my guests and we can record over a video call wherever they are in the world. Also, if you're like me and cannot stand the sound of your voice, Zencaster's built-in post-production process makes such a difference. It automatically removes ums and ahs, awkward pauses, reduces background noise, and makes me sound so much better. Plus, the hobbyist and Creator Plus accounts are always free to use, and their professional accounts are free to try for 14 days, no credit card required. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code BIGTOP, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Well, hi. Why is a unicorn called a unicorn and not a unicorn? And welcome to The Big Top. Today, I am extremely excited to have on someone I've spoken about before, whose coaching has personally helped me in the past and who is really doing some amazing work for the kink community at large, Support Pup Cooper, who was kind enough to sit down with me and talk about his journey as a sexologist and support puppy. You may have seen some of Cooper's videos or infographics before, but it was really cool to get to chat more generally about kink and self-acceptance. If you are new to the podcast, first of all, Hi. And second, please do rate and review if you have the time. It makes a huge difference, and I would love to hear from you. Today, the circus is in Provincetown, Massachusetts, and I invite you to join me as we go under the big top. Thanks for doing this. I, I really wanted to have you on because you have such a great way of articulating your thoughts and have so much to say that's worth hearing when talking about kink specifically, whereas I'm just kind of here like spouting my opinions <laughs> every week. So it's it's always very nice to have someone on who actually knows what they're talking about. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Good. Okay. So I, I guess I want to know, how, how did Cooper come into your life and had kink been present for you beforehand? Kink had been present for me beforehand. Yeah. I think as a lot of kinksters will say, like, I've been kinky forever. Um, yeah. I just didn't necessarily know. And so I first really found kink because I found sports gear and bondage by accident on the internet, Mm -hmm. probably sometime in my mid twenties. And I found this site called bound jocks and it was like guys in sports gear tied up. (laughs) And it was one of those like not vanilla, but vanilla leaning. Like it happened its way into my like, porn feed on whatever websites I was using back then. And they were very much like, oh, this guy's in a singlet. Oh, he's also tied up. Oh, now they're touching his genitals. Like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Hmm." So I found that. And then it was in graduate school when I uh, had a class and they were, they had a panel come in and talk about like, it was like a, (laughs) we sometimes call it like gay on display, but it was sort of like kinkster on display. And it was just sort of like a opportunity to 
hear about people in the in the kink community, but also to hear them talk about their relationships and like the deeper levels of it, where it comes from, how they got into it. And literally like things just started to click in my head. Wait, like, hang on. Sorry, go back. That's awesome. How did that, wh- why was there a procession of <laughs> kinksters <laughs> brought in before a class? How did... So for those of us who study sexology, a big part of our training is self-awareness development. So we often will have classes or programs where people will come in who have a certain sexuality or certain sexual experience and talk about it. And we use it twofold, one, to provide exposure and amplification of people's voices who have these experiences, but also as opportunities for us to self-reflect on like, how did it make us feel? What did we think about? What Did we like, not like about things people said? And that really helps us unpack for ourselves as professionals, like where our issues are and where we need to work on things. Because as a sexologist, you never know what student, learner, patient, client is going to walk into your professional space. And so the goal is that, number one, we are able to identify before people get to us, like what services we can provide, what things we can't provide. But also Mm -hmm. when folks end up under our care or in our learning environments that we don't stigmatize or shame people for who they are. And if we do find that like something that they're into or that they want to talk about isn't something that in our wheelhouse, we can then refer them to somebody who's the right person for them, again, without being shaming or stigmatizing or further cause any kind of harm to them. So yeah, so at our classes, a lot of times we have these programs, they're called sexuality attitudes reassessments, um, where we bring people in from different walks of life and different life experiences, different sexual orientations, and hear about their story. And it really does work to complexify the experience, right? Like a person isn't this label, they're a whole person and that label is a part of their experience and like there's a lot more to who somebody is and when you realize that everybody's human and comes to things in their own way it really disarms a lot of the stigma and shame we have learned because oftentimes the stigma that we internalize or the shame that we've learned is implanted in us from external sources that sort of send us these little messages whether implicit or explicit about like you shouldn't be this way, or you shouldn't feel this thing, or you shouldn't like this thing. Very few of us are like, feel like we're born with that kind of shame or stigma. It's usually a learned thing. Wow. That's so cool. That's how we end up with experiences like that. That's so, I would love to do something like that, actually, like go and (laughs) sit in front of a class and talk about all the weird things I fantasize about. Well, if you're interested, I'll keep you in mind because that's, we're always looking for people because it's, it takes a special person to be able to sit in front of people and talk at that level of vulnerability, but also it requires a certain like self-awareness, right? Like Mm. not everybody who does these things understands or cares about why they do it. Like or has the like develop the insight and as at least for learners in sexology, like it's really helpful when people do because students will also often ask questions like, where did this come from? Or why are you into this? And yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only reason is like, because I was so shut off and like, I have now had so many experiences where I've had to like learn to be open. And the more I've practiced being vulnerable, the more I'm like, oh, this is actually like fine and interesting and engaging. And then I've gotten to have some really like interesting conversations with people. Okay. So how then did Cooper come into your life? Because I think a lot of people have heard you talk about puppy space specifically. And so, you know, I'm interested in how the impression I'm getting is that the gears started turning a bit later on, but it was always there. Like it was always kind of... It was always there. 
And yeah. that's actually something I would say in the last like four to five years. So I've been a puppy for nine. So the lot, like the second half of that time mm-hmm. has been where I've really started to recognize where Cooper was before. So I was into sports gear and bondage. And then I started, I got on recon. <laughs> yep. so gangsters do. Yep. And honestly, I don't even know how old recon is, but it was like pretty relatively new when I got on it. Like it was sort of like, I don't even know if, if like grinder and scruff and those existed yet. I feel like it was like a website. Right. And I yeah. had been in gay.com and those things, but I saw an ad or somebody, somebody I was talking with was like, do you know about recon? There's a gay.com. There used to be. Yeah. I don't I mean, it, <laughs> it used to be where you, you could have a profile and do like dating and stuff on that. That's, <laughs> that's brilliant. Oh, the things the internet has given us. And uh, I got onto Recon, and then I started meeting people. And then I really, my first foray into kink was all very bondage, edging, uh, impact play sort of things. Mm -hmm. And then I learned that there were kink events like International Mr. Leather and Mid-Atlantic Leather. So I was talking to a friend on Recon, and I was like, you know, I really would like to go to MAL, but I've never been. He had never been. And so we decided, having never met in person, to book a room together and go. As all great stories begin, yeah. (laughs) Right. And uh, I think at that point in time, we had talked on the phone. FaceTime was not a thing really yet. And uh, he had said, he's like, I'm really into gunge. So like, I'm going to be out doing gunge things. So you're going to have the room to yourself a lot. Um, And he's like, and I've heard that the chances that we spend the night in the room is not necessarily like we have a room, we have a place to put our stuff. Anyhow, so I went to MAL and I had a really nice time. I met this other guy who I'm still really good friends with. He's like one of my closest kinkster friends. And uh, we ended up spending a lot of the time. He's an Aussie. And so he was in the States to do this like six month tour, including MAL and IML. Anyway, we ended up hanging out most of the weekend and having a great time and going shopping, learning new things. He introduced me to other people. We had a really great time. And at that MAL, I saw puppies. Mm -hmm. And I was like curious, but also if I'm fully honest with myself, like nervous, scared, and a little bit of like, what's that weird thing about? But like, at the same time, I was calling it a weird thing in my head. I was Mm -hmm. also like incredibly curious. And I had talked to a guy on Scruff while there who had listed himself as an alpha dog and handler. And so we were talking and it just so happened he was from New York, which is only like 90 minutes, two hours from Philly. And so we just stayed in touch. And it was that person who I asked questions to. And he would, you know, after we developed sort of a rapport and scruff, he would be like, you should get a ball and like play with the ball. Mm-hmm. You should like, he would just basically give me instructions. And then I would respond in, with a video of those things. And doing that is where I found the puppy energy inside of Because I was like, oh, I can like actually have fun doing this. And at that point, it wasn't really a sexual thing for me. It was just like, it was sexy and it was fun. Yeah. And so like to go back to the question you asked about like, where did Cooper come from? And sort of like, where was he before? What I really kind of have come over the years to understand is like, I was as a kid, a very playful, dramatic, uh-huh. like goofy, like to do little plays and like performances with my friends. And I always really took sort of a leadership role in that. It's like, I love to play school. It's no surprise I became a teacher and a professor. <laughs> 
like anyway and so it's just like he's he's just kind of always been there and i think for a lot of us for you and our listeners out there like for those of us socialized and raised as boys and men so much of our childhood and adolescence especially in young adulthood is about like weeding out and ripping out the child in us and like teaching us to be tough, strong, <sighs> articulate leaders. Mm-hmm. And in some cases we're encouraged to be violent and not very nice people. And I always resisted that because I just, I'm never going to be the full version of that, that a lot of folks would like us to be. But when I have kind of fully let Cooper take the reins, like that's all the parts that come out. Like my goofiness comes out. My more quiet side comes out the playful, pleasure-seeking, carefree part of me comes out. And when I was, you know, I, I said all that about being raised as a boy and to be a man. But then when I came out as gay, all the like gay toxicity of like the late 90s was really about like, it was very much like Abercrombie and Fitch was the ideal. It was like shave your body, mm-hmm. be muscular, be tough. And those things were always really hard for me. And I was fuzzy from like, I, I was a late bloomer in a lot of ways from a puberty perspective, but like I had hair on my body before a lot of people my age, not on my face though. So I had this very like hair in the wrong places to right. be cool. Uh-huh. So then when it was like, now we're all supposed to be shaving our bodies and have these like Adonis, like Abercrombie and Fitch model selves. And like you go out to the bars and everyone's playing this game of like, trying to be that I felt very out of place. And then a lot of my early sexual experiences were kind of like exploitative and predatory and anyhow. So like Cooper has helped me embrace all the parts of me that have all were already there. Embrace that I'm furry and like playful. Like I feel good going to the gym now because I'm doing it for me, not for other people. Right. And I now have this whole community over the years that I've developed of people who either support me as a puppy or who are pups themselves. And like when new puppies come out and like start to make friends and they start to realize like, oh my God, puppies are amazing. Like puppies are different. We get each other. Like just the, we get each other part is nothing feels better than being in the world where you meet people who just get you. Yeah. I, so I have this, like I think they're they're very much the same thing because you know for for me uh very very similar like as a as a child I was so much more playful and goofy and 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 carefree and 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 dramatic and all those things and then really felt the pressure of having to like strip these parts of myself away and learn to be an adult and blah 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 blah. and like so much toxicity was around me that I think I latched on to clowns as like this thing I kind of wished I could be and it wasn't until way later that I then discovered ABDL and then like only in more recent years puppy play and all of these things feel very connected to me like they all feel very like I I didn't get them until I did and once I did I was like oh it's the same thing I get I get to experience all these parts of myself that I don't normally allow myself to and I think especially with being a puppy, it's that thing of like the the pleasure seeking or, or even like the attention seeking, like wanting to be pet, like is something we're not meant to do for some reason. And yet like 
allowing yourself to go, oh no, this feels good. And, and, and I, I feel very vulnerable as well in that space. And so it's very nice to feel kind of cared for in that way. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like these, the, all these things are, are like, it's window dressing for a very similar urge to have some sort of free abandon, you know, like, I mean, you could dress as a duck and, and, and it's kind of like, you're doing the same thing, right? Like you're, which is a new one. Like the duck play is something that I was like, eh. it's the same as the donkeys and the orcs. And now it's like popping up more and more and more on Twitter. And now I'm, and the cows. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so in, in the work that I do as a sexologist and like the work that we're trained to do so much of what we're trained to do and what we learn about is how much of especially European American culture is very much about like stripping hedonism, stripping pleasure from things so that we can be quote unquote productive mm. members of society as if enjoying life is not productive. And I think pup play and kink in general have kind of taught me that like, there's a place for play mm. as adults. And what's ironic is the professional sports industry itself is literally playing games yeah. for money and it is billions of dollars of industry and it's this but it's still this very rigid specific yeah. full of rules full of toxicity and yet the people who hold the most power in our society and in some ways the least power in society are part of that system where people are like spending literal days and days and days just watching sports on television, sitting in a chair while the people playing the game are experiencing this weird mix of capitalist exploitation of their bodies for sport. Right. And like, anyway, it's just so twisted that then people are like, think that kingsters or puppies or whoever we are clowns out into the world are like somehow something's wrong with us. And I'm like, look at you, you just sit in a chair watching like these sports games literally every day, all weekend and three nights a week. And you're just sitting there watching what, like almost in some ways they're fantasizing about right. being a part of that. Right. And I think we get to actually do it. And so I think the beauty of it, of kinky world, whatever your kink or, or play style is, it's about play. It's about having fun. It's about enjoying ourselves. It's about experiencing parts of our body in ways we don't usually get to because we don't give ourselves permission and people don't give us permission to do it, but like the joy that comes out of it. And so another flip side of my story is it wasn't until I was in it for a while and spent some time unpacking it with friends that like, I realized what draws me to sports gear is like, it, it's kind of like drag, right? Like I was never a kid other than like the few years I played soccer in my several years as a roller skater, neither of which are like foot, like American football or uh, rugby or anything. Right. But like when I put on sports gear, it's like drag. Like it's like I get to feel something, wear something that was very much kept from me for for most of my life. And I feel powerful when I put it on. Like when I hear drag queens talk about when they put their drag yeah. on, they feel confident and powerful. Like if I put on a, a an American football kit, like I feel big, I feel strong. I feel like I could bump into people and like, I'm going to be fine. Well, and you would be, cause you'd be <laughs> the one <laughs> wearing all the padding. Exactly. 
And it's funny how I think about like how confident they must feel wearing all that gear, right? With like soccer football kits or rugby kit, like when I put on the socks and the shoes and the, like, I just, I feel transformed and like, and I put a puppy hood too. Like, <laughs> oh my God, it's the best. Yeah. The, oh, the puppy hood, I feel like is such a, like, I, I really experienced that recently, like, cause I walked around Berlin in it and I was like, wow, I, that, I, I don't know, something very like, um, there's, there's power in the anonymity and also in like choosing exactly what you're putting out in the world. And also there's some sort of equalizing force as well. It's like, we're, we're all under this hood and we're all exactly like what you see is what I want you to see. It makes me think all of this makes me think of pro wrestlers. So I've got a pro wrestler friend here, which is not a thing that like has taken off in the UK. So it's very niche that he does this, but like he went to wrestling school and like, uh, got really into it. And I just thought that was so stupid, blah, blah, blah. But I went to, I went to go see him and it was, it, it was the best. I had the best time. It was like a live action Marvel movie. And I watched this and I was, I, I loved it so much, but I was like, this is just, it is drag. Like it's hyper-masculine drag. You're a character and you're, you have a costume and a, a, and everything. And you're just pretending to beat up your mates like it's so silly but again it's that thing I imagine is very similar like when I put on clown gear I feel that as well like all of a sudden I feel kind of invincible because I get to act this part I get to be this thing I get to yeah it all boils down to play I get to have fun yeah well and it's the puppyhood so this is a little bit awkward for me to talk about but like when I first was coming out I was like a cute young gay and I got an, a kind of attention that mm -hmm. was very sexualized and gay men of a particular age at a particular point in time. I think it's getting better now culturally, but like there was, when I was coming out, there was this like very predatory way that like, if you are young and you go to a bar the people would be like, Oh, there's the chicken and the chicken hawks. And like, you're a chicken cause you're young and the chicken hawks are going to come for you. And then there's alcohol in that environment. And it was very, very weird. And so I never really felt the kind of flirtatious sexual attention coming towards me in a way that mm -hmm. felt safe or comfortable. And when I started to wear my pup hood more at MAL at first, and then when I would start to wear it at bars and things, I was like, or events, I was like, oh my God, people don't see my face. People don't know who I am. And that creates an interesting barrier because people then just generally don't talk to you unless it's another puppy or somebody yeah. who knows what puppies are about. And so I was like, oh my God, I feel so much less pressure in these spaces now. I feel less sexual energy. And then the other thing is once you started wearing it is that like I realized that like the, the muffling of the sound took out a layer of music, especially in those like oons, 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 oons bars where like I realize I'm like, oh, my God, I really can't handle that kind of music. And when it's muffled, I am so much happier. And then I don't feel this pressure to like be social and talkative because I'm in a talking profession. Like I spend most of my work time as an educator or coach talking to people or listening to people. And I love doing it. But when I'm not working a lot of what I want is to be around people and in the, in our social spaces, but where I don't have to work, I can just like be there and the pup hood and just the puppy brain. Cause mm -hmm. once I put the hood on, then the brain yep. starts to happen. <laughs> like the, the puppy mm -hmm. brain melt happens. 
And I'm just like, I'm just a dog here. And like people can give me scratches or ask to pet me and pet me. And I can serve a role and a purpose here that's much less, it requires much less energy from me to be a part of that. And it's been interesting because then when I started Cooper or support Pup Cooper in February 21, which really didn't, it was sort of like an experiment for several months. And then it kind of started to take off. But like, then I started to realize that even work is more fun now because Cooper gets to be a part of work too. And I have not been so happy and I can't even tell you how long. And it's really nice to feel like I'm at a place in my life now where work, personal life, and like myself as a social being now gets to be the same in all three spaces. And like, of course, I have to shape shift sometimes. Like when I'm doing university professor stuff, like I have to uh-huh. yeah. play that game and show up the way I need to show up there as my human self, but I can draw on Cooper energy when I need it. Cause it's so much more accessible now. Like for a long time, it was an escape place to go. And now it's this like, like a, a bubbling energy that's always there that I can tap into or turn down. If That's I so beautiful, actually, the way you put that, because that, uh, it kind of makes me think of like work I've done in therapy, you know, with like inner child stuff and how like trying to bring those parts of you in. That's like a, a really, really helpful. I just think it's so sad that so many people maybe could have benefited from this sort of thing and just, I don't know, have, have never been able to access it, have never encountered it, have only ever seen puppies as like, oh, those weird sex freaks or, you know, something like that, and have never actually been able to reap any of those benefits or get to enjoy that, like, the, the puppy brain melt is just, I haven't had a, enough experiences really, especially with someone in more of like a, a handler role to really delve into that. But the few times that I have, I, I never thought I would get there when I when I started pup play. And... Man, is it amazing. So that's so that's such a beautiful way of putting it that you kind of get to, it's more accessible and you get to bring it into all the other parts of your life. Yeah, and I'll say like, I don't talk about this side as much as I probably should or would like to, but like, it's also not all shits and giggles and sunshine and lollipops. Like, it's also full of hard things and challenges. And there are moments even still where I find myself terrified or have that slip of a voice in my head that's like, what the F is wrong with you that you think you're a dog and you want to go out and like work as a dog, <laughs> live as a dog. Like th- th- this is the best ac- way you access your sexuality. And I'm like, so there are moments when I sit with myself and I have to like talk myself mm-hmm. away from those thoughts because they're not very helpful and remind myself of the healing that has happened and is happening through Cooper. And, you know, like, recently I came out to like my, my immediate family, like my family of origin about all this. Cause I was like, I, it's too much a part of my life and too important to me for me to have them not know about it. And then it was all the, like a week and a half, two weeks of like coming out all over again feelings. But the other part of it is that I have discovered that like my sexuality is more in the demisexual camp than anything. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of that, because what I've realized about pupping, especially over the last couple of years, is because of the playfulness of being a puppy, there's all these things we get to do that are part of quote unquote sex that are not genital focused or even traditionally sex focused. 
but it's still fun. It's still exciting. It's still arousing. It still involves genitals sometimes, but like it's made me realize that this thing that I've always felt in relationships was that like, I am always the one in a relationship who has the lower sex drive. Mm -hmm. I'm always, and there's plenty of research and theory out there that says that like, there's no relationship in which the two people have the same exact amount of sexual desire and want to do the same things. Like that's just near impossible. So we find ourselves with people who are, we're compatible with, but there's always this discrepancy. And I've always been like, I mean, when I'm, going through my days, like there are days that go by, I don't think about sex much at all. And sometimes it's a lot of days and that can be frustrating. But if I put on my hood or if I just access Cooper more, the playful energy comes out and then I start to want to do things with people mm. or with someone and the pressure off the table that like, I, I'm not, I don't have to, I don't have to do a set of very standard things because oh, so yeah. much of sex is like intercourse focused and like that's not my most favorite sexual thing to do and nope. it's really fun to be able to pup around with another puppy because it's the other thing like i'm not not one i'm not a puppy who wants a handler as much as i am a puppy who wants to be with another puppy mm -hmm. but just the horseplay the wrestling the the hanging out in puppy headspace like that itself just there's times when i'm like i just pupped for like two hours and I feel like I had six orgasms, even though I didn't have any. Yeah. Or I had one, but it was like not the best part of the whole thing, right? The rest of it was the fun part. Yeah. No, I totally relate that. Because again, like genital stuff, it, it, all of that is like can be fine, but it's like a very small part of of actually what I enjoy doing. And I'm I'm way more into like the uh, like my sexuality is is hundred percent cerebral. So I completely know what you mean when when it's like. The pleasure is from the scenario and, and the fun you get to have. Okay, I want to ask you more about um, how these worlds kind of collided and melded, but I need to pee really bad. So we're going to take a quick break. Good walkies. <laughs> okay, so the thing I wanted to ask you before was like when the marriage between sexology and counseling and, and, and kink, like when did that all kind of happen? Because I, I saw support pup Cooper first and just thought like, that's genius. Like why isn't there more kink specific support out there? Like how has that not happened yet? When, like when were you like, Oh yeah, these things can all be, or, or rather that like, People need this. So people need this. I have known that for a long time because there's just like, if you ask anybody who who's like either a kinkster themselves, who's a sexologist or who is a kink affirming sex therapist, sex educator, they're all busy. Their caseloads are full. There's yep. so few people out there. It's usually the key, the, the trick for folks or the, the challenge for folks is awareness. It's just like letting people know that it's out there or you're out there because there's just millions, probably billions of kinky people in the world. Like, let's be honest, <laughs> because the key to kink for so many people is keeping it secret, mm -hmm. which also means we don't have a whole lot of data, information, etc. about kink life other than what we have, because most people keep it pretty hidden. So for me, where support pup Cooper came, like where this whole, hey, I'll do be a, a kinky puppy doing coaching for kinky puppies and education for, for kinksters and pups. I hit a point 
where I had followed the traditional academic path where I like went to graduate school, got my PhD. What do you do with a PhD? Work in higher education or clinical work. And at the time, I didn't want to do therapy because because of my own like self-care needs. Like I just sitting in that space is really hard for me. And I got into sexuality work because I love mm-hmm. sexuality but I find it incredibly helpful that I know about all of that in order to do the sexuality coaching work that I do. I really like coaching as a model because it's much more active, much more engaged, much more about short-term work with folks around a specific goal or problem. So Support Pup Cooper came from me following this traditional academic path for so long that I literally got myself from like graduate student to professor, worked my way through a few different academic jobs. And then I found myself in this job as a senior leader at my university where I was like, I hate most of the way I spend my days. It's literally like grumpy land. And the work that I care about is making the world a safer place for queer and kinky people. And I was like, I guess you could make the argument that by working as a senior leader, I'm creating opportunities for other opportunities, for other opportunities that eventually trickle down. There are people making the world safer for for queer and kinky people. But I'm like, I am so far from it that all the things I love about being a teacher, an educator, and a coach are not at all what I spend my days Mm. in. So I fell into a very serious mental health crisis where I was like literally super depressed, medicated for that, and having a lot of like suicidal ideation about life. And this was end of winter, early spring 2021. And I talked to a couple colleagues and they were like, let's get you some help connected me to some people. And so I found this career coach, one of those people who just like you meet along the way and how that person came into your life, you don't quite know, but like magic happened. And I worked with him for six months. It cost a good chunk of change to do it. It was the best money I could have ever spent. And at the beginning of the process, he's like, I don't know where we're going to land with you, but I can almost guarantee that like if we get you doing work that is aligned with your values and the passions that you care about, your whole life is going to change. And so we went through this process of coaching. And one day he said to me like, okay, so like you've learned these things about yourself. One of the things that I learned about myself, which is ironic given our prior conversation about why we're puppies and why kinky things matter is that like I took this character strength survey. And one of the things that came up as like one of my top character strengths was creativity and justice. And I was like, that's funny because I come from a family of creators. My parents are both in the like, they do things with their hands to make things. And as I started thinking about like the environment I grew up in and who I was before I was schooled to death, I'm like, I like creating. And then I was just like, the thing I like teaching is like creating lesson plans, creating experiences for my students, creating worksheets and graphics and like PowerPoint. Like I like the process of creating and taking something from an idea to something tangible. And he said to me, he said, just just put all this together. Don't put any rules on it. Think about like if you could do the thing that would make you the most happy, what would it be? And uh, we had already gotten to the point where. I had developed the insight that like my life felt so fragmented. I was like, my kinky life was separate from my personal life, which was separate from my professional life. It was just like everything I did was like separate from everything else. And uh, I was sitting with one of my puppy friends and I was like, what if I did what I do professionally, culturally responsive education and practice for the kink and puppy community? And I was like a support puppy. And my friend was like, I mean, theoretically, it sounds amazing. I don't know how you'd ever get people to pay for that or like make that a job. But like people need it. You have the skills to do it. And it sounds like you would have fun. And I was like, 
okay, well, I'll create an Instagram account. And then I went back to my coach and I said, so this is my idea. It's crazy. Also, by the way, I'm a puppy. <laughs> he was like, cool. Puppies. Great. I love it. So tell me what you would do. And so we started talking about it. And then he's like, I don't know why you shouldn't pursue this. And then we went down this pathway of like stigma and shame of like, what will my professional world's response be to me doing this? Will the kinky people think that I'm trustworthy and like really here to help or more to be pathologizing in a problem because a lot of therapists shame and problematize kink. And, you know, puppies sometimes get even further stigmatized within the kink community because like sometimes leather, rubber, etc. folks don't quite get pups, right? And so I was like, well, the other thing I could do is bring the work I do around diversity and inclusion to this too and say part of my support pup work is also going to be facilitating conversations and encouraging us to really talk about the problems we have as a kink community with the inclusion of trans folks, gender nonconforming folks, people of color, because we have a lot of work to do in our community to make, make it a place where anyone, whatever their background is, feels supported and welcome as a kinkster or a pup. And then I just like kept working with my coach on this idea and working through all of the stuff that was like going to get in my way or keep me from doing Doing it. And the more I did that, the more I realized how exciting it was and how like even doing this is going to heal parts of me that have really struggled. And the other part is sexology as a field is also not super kink affirming. There's a lot of not great collegialness that I have in my world. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but also like at this point, I've established myself as a human in that world. So maybe part of what I can also do is work to destigmatize kink with kinksters who are in my field because there's actually more of us than we know and shouldn't sexologists be kink supportive affirming professionals of all freaking professionals yeah right <laughs> yeah so that's also part of what i'm doing and that's the part that i'm still working to figure out not so much how to do it but how to address the hurdles within me to do that because I know as soon as I start to push the needle there, uh, I'm going to hit some resistance. But Cooper's going to help me. Like, Cooper's going to be the energy that helps me power through that, too. Mm. Woof. Yeah, I really gel, obviously, with that whole thing of, like, like marrying marrying the parts. Because, you know, like, this past year, it's coming up to a year now that I have been working for Playtime. And that only happened because I went to my first event. My mind was absolutely blown. I left with more kinks than when I arrived. And I was like, no, this is something I actually care about. And being able to bring those two halves together, which was not immediate and it was slow, but it was like, oh, I, I, like, I love my Shop. And I'm so happy that I get to, and also like the response that even just these first few episodes have had has been really heart filling. Like I wasn't sure how me talking about like how weird I think I am or how weird I thought I was, whether that was going to resonate with anyone. And so as you were talking, I was just kind of like reliving those feelings. And, and I, I also think that really comes across because when I first saw what you were doing on Instagram, I was like, you can tell how much you put into it and how much you care about it and where it comes from. Okay, so I'm more interested in like the, you know, the out there quote unquote stories that kind of like taught us to accept ourselves. And this whole thing is about like letting people know that they're not nearly as alone as they think, right? So I'm wondering just from what you said, like, what was that moment for you? Because like, I, I very much know what this moment was for me where like, I realized that my life is really mine to live and I get to decide what that looks like. At what point did that happen for you? Because you're, you're kind of forging this career path and then have been able to, 
I kind of almost just build on it and bring so much more into it, really, rather than take like a sharp left turn. But I don't know, was that that moment for you where you were like, oh yeah, I get to be all these things. I get to be the puppy. I get to do things my way. Yeah. So first, the what you were just talking about before, about like realizing you could do this work that you're doing now. And then the, the, re the response you get from people. And I don't say this with hyperbole or drama, even though I can be both of those things. <laughs> but like literally every message I get from a puppy, however small or big it is, that's like, thank you for being here. You help me feel better about who I am. Like I even, I even get emotional just talking about it. Like when, I, when puppies send me those and I get them like a few times a week, I would say it recharges the battery that I have on the days when I'm like, oh, I don't want to like grind through a post, right? Like, no, because sometimes that's lonely, boring work. But like when you put it out there and then you get people say like, wow, this post changed my life or made me think so differently about this or yeah, we need to talk more about body shame in our community or whatever those things are. That is why I'm here. And it's why I got into the field in the first place because I left school teaching because my queer students and my students of color were struggling just to be at school and often would come to me like, Senor, like you're, you're, our, you're the classroom I come to in the day that like I get to just be myself. And a group of students had come to me asking if I would help them start a gay straight alliance. This was in 2003. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to. And they're like, you would? Do you even know what it is? I was like, yeah, I know what it is. It's a gay straight alliance. And they were like, how do you know what it is? And I was like, because I do. And they're like, Senior Martin wouldn't know what it is. And I'm like, well, Senior Martin and I are very different. <laughs> and they're like, you are different. And I was like, I know. And they're and at the time, it wasn't safe for me to be out as a teacher. I was accepted and I was out with my friends in school and with like, no one was going to find out that was going to be a surprise, but it didn't mean that it wouldn't, like if a group of parents organized to get me fired, like that would be a whole battle, right? right. And I would probably win and not lose my job, but then I'd be that guy. I'd be the teacher who they tried to fire because he was gay and like whatever. Anyway, and that was when I was like, what I actually care about is making schools safer for queer and POC students. So I looked at grad schools and I found my way into the sexuality program. But anyway, so when I get these messages from puppies or kinksters who say like the work you're doing makes my life better. I'm like, that's why I feel like I exist on the earth is to make the world safer, not all by myself, but with a community of people. And I'm trying now to do more with my Instagram to build community space. Like, yes, my page is my page, but I want it to be a place people come to, to meet other people, connect with other people. And also just to hear that, like, there's a million ways to be a puppy. There's no gatekeeping. Your puppy is your puppy, whatever that means for you. It's purpose whether it's completely sexual or part of your full identity doesn't matter what matters is what it means to you and so yeah to your other question like when was the moment I think it was in the fall when I fart started taking coaching clients individually and started to just produce more content and then I started going to events just because I was going to go to them anyway right and then people recognized me wow and every time people recognize me and come up to me it isn't the celebrity like oh my god it's me it's the thing that they say I did for them or that I helped them with and in most cases it's somebody I've never really messaged with at all right literally just me posting content them seeing it and digesting it and then I'm just like the ripple effect of that is now when I have moments where I'm like my colleagues might throw shit at me or might think I'm a weirdo. I'm like, I don't care. I'm not here for you. I'm here for all mm. the puppies and kinksters out there who 
feel like their life is better because I'm helping shed light on issues that I care about and that they care about. Yeah, and I happen to know for a fact that there are a lot of people, like there are a lot more people than you will ever know who are touched by the work that you do. Because the amount of people who actually take the step to reach out are such a small percentage of the people who are benefiting. Yeah. But even the gatekeeping, I mean, again, it's just because there, there's nobody, there's nobody showing anyone, I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound so dumb, but there aren't enough like puppy role models or kinks there's there's no we all have to muddle through and figure this out ourselves and hope that the people that we've connected with are going to be the right people to educate us and it's just like my impression of puppies could not have been more wrong i really felt like they were this i felt stonewalled by i just thought i was never going to be cool enough and i didn't get it and i wasn't into it enough and then i was like wait this is what puppies are this is what i've been doing with a red nose like what like what are you kidding me like this is yeah so the other piece is in my coaching process and I cried a lot about this through the coaching process. One of the things I realized is like so much of my career have been driven by growing up and experiencing most of my life in a trauma way. Mm. As a gender nonconforming kiddo, as a kiddo raised in a rural, very Christian place by a non-practicing Jew and a non-practicing Catholic. Like I went to school and it was like, who are you? Where are you from? And why do you celebrate all these religions? Like you don't even go to church. And it was like, you know, my parents moved to where they moved to raise us to get out of the city because of their own set of challenges there. And they're hippies and wanted to be in nature and like be around their friends, create this little community, which they did. And so I went to like the farm where it was this like inclusive, happy, run around naked, like whatever place, and then go to school with this like very rigid rural mm. mountain culture yeah. as this queer gender nonconforming kid. So I'm like, I grew up in that space and I went to college to get away from there. And then I got this job where I also felt all this like hostile work environment because I couldn't be my full self. So I went to graduate school and I went into higher ed. Higher ed's not a great place either. And I just, it kind of hit me in this coaching process with my career coach that like, I mostly was pursuing safety and running away from trauma. Yeah. And I never really got a point to say like, what do I want to do? And when that switch flipped for me, then I was like, well, now if I'm not going to do this in my 40s, when the hell am I going to do it? And I want the next 20 whatever years I have left of working, 25 years left if I ever can stop working because the world around us is mm. crazy. But literally, like, I want to spend the rest of my life making things good and being happy and stop the running away from things that I just didn't feel good about. So that was like a huge eye opener and made me realize that like Cooper is a huge healing energy for me. And then when I start doing it and getting all this positive feedback, I'm like, well, damn, this is easy. This is actually easier. The other thing I realized in that process was, and this comes from a lot of what I've been learning about and thinking about from like this whole decolonizing lens of like how much of this interesting conversation on two sides of the ocean and two cultures, right? Like all of my family my great-grandparents were immigrants to the United States, fleeing some kind of oppression somewhere in the world. Came to the U.S. as this like place where you can start over in the American dream, blah, blah, blah. But I realized that like so much of the colonial project was about extinguishing people's existence who disagreed with a certain set of values, mostly religious and spiritual. And then in order to, for colonialism to be productive, we had to teach people that their worth was what they did producing things. And so the immigrant experience was like, come to the US where you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make the American dream happen. All you have to do is work hard. Mm. And I've been spending my whole freaking life proving to people as a queer person that I'm worth it by working hard. 
Like if I was a good enough student in school, then it didn't matter that I was gay. If I was a good enough student activities leader in college, it didn't matter that I was gay. If I was a good enough teacher, it didn't matter that I was gay. If I was a good enough academic studying the things I did and those had value to people, then I was good enough. And like in my coat, my coach, he just said to me, he's like, but aren't you just like valuable because you're alive? Hmm. Aren't you just good enough? And like (laughs) Cooper, like what he's about is just having fun and being alive, right? Like he's just playing because it feels good. And so now I'm really thinking about that. Like if those of us who live at the margins of society and who experience oppression get wrapped up in this idea that we have to prove ourselves to people. We're never actually free to just be ourselves because we're always doing ourselves for other people. And so what Support Pup Cooper as an Instagram account and as a business is doing for me is that like I get to show up with all the things I've learned about in my life as a student of life and of academics and things. And I'm ultimately just like the messages I get from people that are supportive are rarely about something I've done and more just like you're an inspiration because you are. Mm. And I just want everybody who's in our community, whether they're a kinkster or a puppy, to realize that like if you're a musician, if you are an artist, if you are a computer programmer, if you are a barista at Starbucks, you are a value because you exist and because you are. Those other things we do are how we make money so that we have resources. But like none of us should be doing the thing we're doing without feeling confident that like we just are good and i think that there's something about being a kinkster when like you're the margins of the margins we're like why do we all give such a fuck like have a good fucking time that's what the kink is about in the first place is just having fun hell yeah experiencing pleasure even if it's being tortured or like confined to a small space for a long time on that note have there been more avenues into other kinks that have like really opened up for you yeah so as a kinkster one of the things i learned early was like don't shame people's kinks because just number one it's not nice but number two you might find out that that kink you were shaming is a kink you're into later yep And because our sexuality, sexuality education is so, we call it coital focus, like focused on intercourse or like humping, basically. We don't get to enjoy like the sexuality in touch, the sexuality in smells, the sexuality in our noses, our ears, our mouths, like the rest of our body. Anyhow, so like I was dating this person. I didn't know they were into fisting and we were fooling around and I like, I don't know, I have this inclination that I didn't understand stand at the time like I always like to like eventually put my fingers near somebody's butt and finger them and this particular person's butt felt different it was like really soft and I was like put a couple fingers in then I have like more than a couple fingers in and he was like you know you can like keep going and I was like what he's like yeah I'm like I can take a fist and I had heard of fisting and at the time I thought fisting was like wacky like, yeah. how could anyone ever do that? And what's wrong with them? And isn't their butt going to fall out? Like, isn't that all, all of the things you think, right? Or that people say. Anyhow, so, and then I realized that, like, that's a super erotic, arousing thing for me that I'd always been drawn to do. And it's literally just, like, the feeling of my fingers in that part of somebody's body just does something for me. 
And suddenly now I like, I would consider myself a fister. It's also to go back to my demisexual thing. Like I would not do that with anybody. Most of the things that I ever want to do with anybody involve some kind of emotional connection. There is nothing more intimate for me than that kind of intense play because you have to trust me to do it. I have to have a set of skills to do it and do it safely. And when your bodies are connected in this very intense way, like it's a kind of arousal in the brain that has nothing to do with genitals at all the way we traditionally think about it. And that really did open my eyes to like, well, then maybe then when somebody says, are you interested in X, unless it's one of a very short list of things for me that are like health safety issues. I'm like, I mean, I'll give it a try. I might find out that this thing that I'm really not sure about or disinterested in might actually be something I find myself really loving. And like impact play is one of those things that like Mm. I discovered through it that like I have an incredible tolerance on my skin to feel a lot of impact. The testing of limits for me is like, one of my favorite things to do but it's predicated on if there isn't the emotional connection between me and the other person it's mostly useless for me oh yeah if that's there and it's what they want and it's what i want and we're having fun and it's consensual and we're like in it there's nothing better Mm. the intersection of that and pupping is actually really interesting because i think a lot of us are in this journey of like what's the overlap between general kink and pupping and the different areas that we're interested in there's just so many growth opportunities physically through this that we would never have i would never have explored or known anything about myself if i didn't give it a try oh yeah i mean yeah impact play for me as well i I thought it was terrifying. I thought the pain was what people were getting off on. You know, and, and like media portrays it as something that's such a like dark, you know, like a trauma response and, and like such a, yeah, such a like dark twisted thing. And then I got whipped on a cross for an hour as my first like ever spanking experience. And I was like, okay, this is awesome. But it was all because of how it was done and the rapport with the puppy who did it. And and, and from there, I mean, like I, there is something so intense about pushing those boundaries and those limits, but I'm the same in that, like, I mean, I don't want to sleep with someone if I, like, don't also want to hang out with them. I only really become attracted to people when I've, I've I've formed kind of, you know, a friendship first. And so that trust being there, you can go so far. And I'm, it's just opened up a whole world of experiences I never, ever thought I would. And sensations and, and, and things like I, sometimes I just think, like, sometimes I just look at people and I'm like, oh, you are just missing out. You're just missing out on a part of life. Like, totally. I don't know if it's something in our brains. Like, I don't know if it's something that makes us different or not. I don't know if it's something that everyone can experience, but I just think, wouldn't you like to find out? Yeah, and I think so much of quote-unquote Western thought is predicated on this idea that it's our ideas and what we produce that matter. The Descartian, like, I think, therefore I am. Mm. It's like, is it, though? Like, is it not enough to just exist with someone else and share a physical experience for that to then create a bond and connection between you. There have been people I would say I played with who I wouldn't have said at the beginning or during like I was attracted to them. But through the shared experience we had, some a connection developed and then there was attraction. Mm. And I think that like more and more, especially with social media, like we're in this very like consumption oriented way of attraction. Like I'm attracted because I find you visually stimulating and I follow you on whatever accounts those are that I follow you on. And now like that's what makes us attracted to people. And I think like kink has taught me that there's this leg 
layer underneath that physical visual attraction that makes people attractive. And there's something to be said for like hanging out with somebody in that space and then hanging out with them after. And like I talk a lot in the work that I do. And so when I'm in like sacred puppy space, not talking and still able to connect with somebody, that's like next level for me. And I really have, and I, as I started looking at my life, I'm like, there's a bunch of people in my life who I've been friends with forever. And one of my favorite things to do with them is not to do anything, but be together yeah. and to go for a walk together. And yes, maybe we're talking, but maybe we're also just having parts of the walk where we're just being in each other's presence. I think that some of my closest friends are kinksters because we get each other mind, body, spirit. Oh, totally. And I did not have any idea that kink was going to open up that level of life for me. Completely. I've been with my partner now for like six years. And like with everyone in my life, like there was this kind of gulf between me and everyone because I felt like I couldn't share this vulnerable side of me. And the kinky friends I've made, that's the thing we connected on. And so we're already as like completely bare with each other. We never have to put on any kind of airs. And that has led to like, I'm, I'm, I don't really care for like touch sensations and, and stuff and cuddling and kissing and being rubbed. And, and, and then I made really strong connections with with people who that just became something we did, like just cuddling and touching or getting scritches or pats. And then that just kind of evolved into a friend of mine did some sensuality stuff. And it's the kind of thing that would normally make my skin cruel. And I was like blown away by how much I enjoyed just this whole new sensation. This is what I mean when I'm like, muggles are missing out. Like I just never knew that I could experience that kind of pleasure. Same, my relationship with my body has changed, even in doing Instagram. If I, and I, I just realized you can edit this out or what, maybe we should leave it in. I don't know. But I'm like, I came back from the break we took. Well, I, I had my hood on and I'm like, I also took my shirt off and I didn't even realize that my shirt was off until like four minutes ago. And I was like, oh, I'm just like sitting. But it's because what happened was I put my hood on to go take pictures and then I just fell into Cooper world. And it is the most happy, relaxed, and Cooper doesn't like to wear a lot of clothes. And like, because of that, I have a relationship with my body where like the posts I post on Instagram, sometimes I think to myself, like too much thirst traps, like you're, you're posting too much skin. And then I'll scroll through and I'll be like, but there's really not that much there. Like you look at some people's accounts, it's just all that, or it's like mostly yeah. that. And I'm like, I still think it's, it's a lot of that, even though it's not because for such a long part of my life, my body was something to cover, to hide, feel mm. shame about, because for me, it represented sex and the sex that I wanted and things was bad and wrong. And being sexy felt like a kind of attraction that was going to bring me attention I didn't want. But like now I feel like like good about my body and this may sound weird but it's like because it's cooper's body yeah and why yeah, wouldn't yeah. i want to take good care of his body because like i care so much about him because he has done so much for me <laughs> one day i was packing for a trip and i was on the phone with a puppy friend and uh i had my hood on because we were doing facetime and while i was packing and stuff and then i took it off and then i finished packing and I, my bags were all packed and i was ready to go and then i was like i want to put my face back on and i couldn't find it and i kid you not i literally had an identity crisis in a matter of 30 seconds of like where's my face i've lost cooper like oh my god and i'm like okay first of all you didn't lose him because he's here like you haven't left the room and here i had packed it in a bag 
bag without realizing. I set it down on the suitcase and in the process of yeah. it got inside. So I found it. But in that moment was where I realized that like, it's no longer me and it's no longer a part of me or separate from me. It is a relationship I have with a part of myself that is 100% good and supportive. And all of us should have that, whether it's our inner child, our adult self, like all of us should have this part of ourselves that we care for, like we would care for our closest friend or family member. Who knew that putting on a neoprene dog hood would uh, do that for me nine years later? But, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I, I've just looked at the time and realized that like, I could listen to you talk kind of forever. And I, I'm just listening to your voice and also the way that you speak. I'm like, <sighs> my nice Pennsylvania twang. <laughs> uh, well, it's exotic to me, right? It was when you told me that whenever we talked about like hearing my voice. And then I posted <laughs> the two reels that I did. I got like so much feedback. So thank you for planting the seed of people like to hear Cooper talk. <laughs> I mean, I was watching those like, this is, I could put this on repeat and just kind of have a nap. You know? <laughs> but since it's almost on the hour, have you got a positive thing? Cause I like to end on like a, just a like yay moment. And I'm sorry that I gave you homework. Now I'm trying, I did have an answer for it. And now I can't remember what it was. I think that the people who are doing the work to unpack the impact of colonization on the world, and I say this especially as somebody who's like in the Americas, and boy, we have a different worldview from that experience. But the people who are doing that work to push the needle and challenge us to think about our humanity in new ways and facing so much backlash because they're challenging the very nature of what we think the human experience is and what life is about. They are doing the most spiritual work that I think can be done right now. And I think it is work that a hundred years from now, we're going to look back on and be like, that was a revolution that changed humans. And they face just so much resistance and hate and anger. I'm just so grateful that they're doing it because it's changed my life. And I think positive influences on the world don't always feel good, mm. but the impact they have is so incredibly positive. There's this theory called optimal theory, which is like when we think about diversity as a problem, when we think about challenges as obstacles, we're losing out on the ways in which challenges and obstacles actually make the world better because they create this desire for us to see those things, or they create this opportunity for us to see those things as positive influences. It's a little bit of the blessing in disguising, but optimal theory is like, we have to look at the ways in which these challenges and obstacles, ways in which diversity itself is actually a gift to make the world a better place. And if we start to focus on that, we'll see these change movements, not as causing disruption, but creating new opportunity and expansion. And like almost every spiritual belief system out there is about this idea of love and expansion and positive vibes and people caring for each other and about each other. So I think that's what I would say is my positive thing. And then also like wagging, like <laughs> all the things we do as puppies with our bodies literally make us feel better. Yeah. And like wag more bark less. Wag more bark less. I like that. Yeah. This seems to be a pattern. I've done this a few times, but I'm totally changing mine because I recently got back from Folsom, which was my first Folsom experience ever. And it was truly mind blowing. I 
had such an incredible experience. And the first thing I did was I decided to go to the street fair early, like in my um, pup gear. And I put my hood on and like everything. And I headed out and I was so nervous just to be out in public. And it's such a casual environment there. I mean, it's just no one bats an eye. No one cares. Everyone minds their own business. But I still feel this like paranoia inside. And then I'm crossing the street and some kid walks by me and he's like, cool mask. And I was like, it, it just gave me this little boost of confidence where I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. Thanks. Yeah, it is actually. And then I found the Kingsters and I just immediately felt at home. And my other puppy friend had said he was like, uh, cause I, I'd said to him like, what I'd really love to do is, is wear my clown gear. But, oh, I, you know, I feel way too nervous to do that. And he was like, dude, we are going to lift you up and you are going to do it because you're going to see, it's going to be totally fine. It's going to be awesome. And so I started out in my pup gear and did the, did the puppy photo and everything. And then about sort of halfway through the day, I felt confident enough and I just changed into my clown gear. And from then on, first of all, like getting comfortable, just being myself and being in public was an insane feeling. And I felt so safe, like doing it in the street fair. But then by the end of the night, we went to a restaurant all in our kink gear and me still like in my sex clown <laughs> gear. And it was just, it just felt so freeing and normal. And the number of people who like wanted to get pictures, I got interviewed for a podcast in the street. Like it was, it was crazy. And it was just so much positivity. No one was like weirded out or made fun of it or, you know, was afraid or any, or any of the things I was worried about so yeah so my positive thing is just that Folsom was amazing and I had the absolute best time I need to go one I've never been to the to Folsom here or Europe I need to do that you've never been to San Francisco dude okay well that's like on my list as well oh it's driving me like I the number of times I've been like I could do this could I make this you can do it just come so I was you know I post pictures of me and my hood out in public and one of the things people ask a lot about is like how do you do that what do how do people respond everything you just said I underscore highlight exclamation point people almost always respond Respond neutral or positive. And I was in Spain in March last year for a festival and I was taking pictures with one of the sculptures and I was like, I'm going to pull Cooper out. So I pull him, pull him out and I put him on and uh, take a picture and I hear these kids yelling, un lobo, un lobo, un lobo, mira, mira, un lobo. And it means like, look, a wolf, a wolf, a wolf. Look, yeah. the enthusiasm in their voices for seeing me in my hood. I was like, all they care about and all they know is that I have a dog mask on or a wolf yeah. mask on. And like, it made them happy. How much are kids exposed to violence, trauma in the world that's not kink related at all? And people worry about kink stuff or like, what, what's your hood going to do to kids if they see it? I'm like, yeah, I'm happy. But that, but then the other thing is when I wear it and people are like cool mask or whatever, it just makes you realize that like, I know way more about its meaning and impact and what it means to me and where it comes from, right? Than they do. And that for the three people I may see in the time I'm wearing it, who ask themselves, oh, what's that? Or, oh, that's sexy. Or, oh, that's hot. Like, again, just existing is enough. And like being out in the world in it, it takes courage and, you know, all of what it takes to do it. But on the other end of it, for the people who it liberates and makes happy, like I tolerate that uncomfortable feeling for a few minutes if it means somebody else's liberations on the other end of it. Like, sure. Yeah. So good yeah. for you for doing it and for getting to have, because it is that positive feedback is like way worth it. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, it was 
kind of a lot, but it was amazing. And who knows, maybe maybe next year there'll be others. Because the other thing was ABDLs were everywhere. And that kind of blew my mind because I was, people were saying, they noted that everyone was like, this has become really popular. And I was just thinking, because I was at the, like the ABDL meet, there were a bunch of people who were there incognito. And I was just thinking, this is just going to become more and more and more popular. And how many other kinks is that going to happen for where everyone realizes, like you just see someone else do it and you go, oh, I'm going to do that next year. You know, because that's, that's actually, you know, when you don't see something, you automatically read it as negative. Read it as negative negative and meanwhile it's having all these positive effects i think the pandemic did a lot for kink actually i think a lot of people were forced on their own to explore a lot of things and now that they're out they're like now that we're pretending it's over (laughs) yeah (laughs) but now that people are out and about living in the world people are like i have one life to live might as well live it right yeah okay anyway kuva thank you so much for talking with me this week like this has been so awesome same where can people find you uh at support pup cooper on instagram my website is supportpupcooper.com my Twitter is support underscore Cooper. That's it. And your MySpace. <laughs> I don't have MySpace anymore. Groovy, groovy. Uh, as always, uh, you can find me at tstota on Twitter and the underscore muckle underscore stota on Instagram. This has been so awesome. And I guess this week the takeaway is bark less, wag more. <laughs> oh, that was a terrible bark. <laughs> Got some work to do. I feel like you learn a lot about puppies by their barks. <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole podcast in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> I've only ever really been able to do it like in a crowd. I don't know. Anyway, well then, that's all from us. Uh, thank you for listening. Be good, be safe, be yourself, and join me next week as we go under the big top. Hey there, horny listeners. We talk a lot about safety on this podcast, and that includes the importance of safe toys that are actually designed for sexual pleasure. Bunny Shop's carefully curated products are body safe and prioritize quality, aesthetics, and safety. Bunny Shop takes a boutique approach to shopping for adult toys, with a wide range from affordable gems to unique luxury items for all experience levels. What I like most about Bunny Shop is the approachability. They've created such a welcoming space, and none of it's dark, intimidating, or feels like it's gatekeeping. And if you like pink, they've got you covered. Bunny Shop also donates a percentage of all sales to a non-profit of your choice. Plus, they ship quickly and discreetly. Let go of your shyness and embrace your self-love journey with confidence. Save 20% off your order today when you use my code BIGTOP. Visit bunnyshop.com, that's B-U-N-N-Y-S-H-O-P-P-E dot com. Spelt with two P's and an E at the end. Don't be shy, let your freak flag fly.